0: Hey, hey friends, this is Jessie Deshane, a chronic illness support coach and host over here on the Chronically Healing Podcast. When I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, I was scared and immediately started looking for support. After finding so much negativity in the autoimmune world, I decided to start a community that emphasizes positivity and healing. On this show, you will hear me have conversations with people just like you who are on their own unique healing journey with chronic illness. There might be a few tears, but you are guaranteed to have a bunch of laughs and lots and lots of love and support. Let's dive into the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Chronically Healing Podcast. Today on the podcast, I have Dr. Diana Driscoll. Welcome to the show. Thank
1: you so much for having me, Jessie. I'm really honored to be here.
0: Great. I'm so excited to talk to you today. We've been chatting a little bit here um, before I turned on the record, so... Why don't we get started, um, and why don't you tell us about you, some of your background, and who you are?
1: Sure, sure. Um, I am an optometrist, and I've been out of school for decades. I'm a very old person, (laughs) (laughs) but I had no plans of ever having to dig into chronic illness or uh, invisible illness, if you will, Um, but one day I got sick, and I was... um, uh, missionary, I went to Costa Rica for a trip and got a virus there. All of us got the same virus so i can 't blame the virus. everybody else did fine and they recovered, but i couldn 't seem to pull out of it and I just started to show some really bizarre symptoms i couldn 't control my heart rate well, my blood pressure was going up and down my digestion something was off with that i didn 't feel right. I started getting shaky, I had trouble breathing, and no one could figure it out. And I was thrown into that world of, of quote, invisible illness, mm-hmm. and um, went to probably 50 doctors trying to get wow. answers, because I was so severe, I, I couldn't even finish my last two patients the day I got hit. I was completely disabled. It wasn't like I could push through, or it was subtle. And I thought, I'm just not getting to the right doctor. Somebody should be able to recognize what this is. It's so dramatic. It's affecting every part of my body. But it was constantly changing, which made it difficult, too. Um, it, It felt like I was flooded with adrenaline. I couldn't sleep. But over time, then I couldn't stay awake. And that confused the doctors even more. But eventually, I was diagnosed with POTS. Mm-hmm. Postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. They found out I was hypermobile, and I thought, Great, we've got a diagnosis. Uh, we'll have a treatment plan, and I'll get better and be able to go back to work, etc. But no, um, they said, we, we don't understand this. Uh, we try to treat the symptoms with things like high salt or compression stockings. I was getting nowhere, I was just getting worse every, every day. And then even more frightening, Jesse, our kids got sick. And my son was especially affected. He was eight years old when he got sick and started fainting and had some of the similar symptoms. We tried to keep him in school, we just couldn't. And then he started wasting away. His growth stopped. He developed severe osteoporosis. He broke his arm just throwing a ball and putting on his coat. And Yet no one could help us. Nobody had any answers. So it was not an enviable position. But eventually I, I got to the point where I participated in some clinical trials at Mayo mm-hmm. for three years, and every year it was still getting worse. When the chief researcher said, Well, we think patients with POTS are perfectly normal, they're just more aware of their own bodies. <laughs> I realized. We're on our own. Yeah. We've got to try to get some answers here. So I got pushed into trying to get some answers for this. Not an enviable position
0: to be no. in. So what did you do from there? What did you, how did you get answers? Who did you go to? Right.
1: Well, we had already gone to everybody I knew to go up. We were, Definitely. we went all the way around the United States. and. Um, so I turned to my husband, and we were both optometrists. And I said, one, I think we're on our own. Yeah, They, they cannot be this far off. This is not subtle. Um, our son is missing school. this This is serious, potentially serious. So I thought, let's do some studies. And about that time, I was put on disability. So I used my disability income to put into studies. And what started out is like 80% of these um, studies or research were conducted from a sick bed. Um, And when we needed the office, we could use our office to bring patients in. But we thought we might be in a good position to try to start to get some answers. And I remember one of the first studies we did, we looked in the eyes of patients because I thought, the eyes can show a lot of systemic illness that that is uh, fairly subtle. And I also told him, there is no way you can be this sick without something showing up somewhere. Yeah. All the doctors I saw were saying, well, everything basically looks okay. You know, I think this is good. I thought, but I'm not okay. Yeah. So we started there. We didn't end there, but I just did study after study after study. And then I was, basically my own guinea pig for a while. Um, I was patient zero, if you will, for a lot of things. And our son was patient one, um, which helped too. But the first thing we figured out was uh, there was a propensity for patients to develop high intracranial pressure. And it wasn't everybody, but it was a lot of people. And that seemed to be driven by something else. So, When we started working on that, I put something out uh, in a book called The Driscoll Theory, where we were digging into that. And that went worldwide. And it was a great feeling, Jesse, to be able to start changing lives. But I knew that that wasn't the ultimate problem. That was more of a secondary problem. So I had to just keep digging Mm. and eventually then it was probably three, three and a half years later after figuring out about the uh, intracranial pressure problem that I started to explore the vagus nerve
0: Mm. and
1: that that was a significant uh, piece of the puzzle too.
0: Yeah, I would love to, if I'm honest, I know, I don't know much about the vagus nerve, I've heard of it, I don't really know Mm. what it affects, anything like that, so well, <laughs>
1: you know, most people don't. You shouldn't yeah. have to know <laughs> because sure. it's supposed to work all by itself. We shouldn't have to think about it or work on it or anything because it's part of the autonomic nervous system. It works with, without any conscious effort. So the vagus nerve is is super important for so many reasons, but it's the longest cranial nerve in the body. So it goes from the brain down the neck, into the chest cavity, it'll, it slows our heart rate. Say if, if something scares us, you know, bears chasing us or something, and our heart starts racing and our, mm-hmm. our, our breathing increases, it um, then allows it to slow down when the danger is past. Uh, it also innervates every aspect of digestion and bowel movements everything from swallowing, from peristalsis of the food down into the stomach. It uh, allows opening of the pyloric valve at the base of the stomach, mm-hmm. so the food can exit there. Then the, the food, and then what's called chyme, and eventually stool, is pushed along via the vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. It tells the stomach, oh, look, food's coming. Let's kick out some some stomach acid to allow us to start breaking down the food properly and to kill some nasty germs and stuff. And then it it tells the gallbladder, oh, look, something's headed your way. Let's spit out some bile so Mm -hmm. we can start to digest fats properly. Then the pancreas is under partial control of the vagus nerve. And the pancreas spits out digestive enzymes in order to continue digestion for proteins and fats. allows us to have normal bowel movements. But importantly, it's also the anti-inflammatory nerve of the body. It helps us control inflammation so that inflammation can be good to help us heal, but it doesn't become more chronic where it's actually doing damage. It's the body's way of helping us control inflammation. So a super important nerve, and I started to suspect something was up there because my heart was racing sometimes and my GI tract was affected at about the same time.
0: Mm-hmm. I thought,
1: what could tie those two things together? I was trying to clump some of my symptoms together. I thought, Well, that's one thing that would tie them together. And I was looking at could that nerve be damaged? I was considering maybe it was compressed at the neck or something. I didn't really know. But could something have gotten that that nerve? And if so, how could I figure that out? How could I start to fix
0: it? yeah so what did you do from there that that kind of like pushed you into your healing because you would consider. Right. You- Healed now, right?
1: Oh yes, absolutely. Um, I wouldn't be working basically
0: yeah. two and a half full-time jobs. You know, I just couldn't have done
1: that. Oh my god! Um, yes, you can absolutely heal from a lot of these invisible illnesses, if you will, if you know what you're dealing with. Yeah. But it wasn't easy. But that the journey was really interesting because I felt like I was in the twilight zone. None of my doctors seemed to understand what I was talking about. But um what happened was I got pushed into having to figure it out. Mm. I developed um I had started with constipation and sometimes it was punctuated by diarrhea, which was a relief because at least I can have a bowel movement. Yeah. Not enviable, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But as it got worse, it developed complete gastroparesis, meaning I couldn't have a bowel movement. Mm -hmm. And I had tried everything to have a bowel movement. It was to the point I was afraid something was going to explode in there because I had so many laxatives and stuff. So um, it had been 11 days since I'd had a bowel movement. Plus, on top of that, you're just sick. Yeah. Yeah. Miserable. But I went to my doctor and told her what what was going on, and she said, "Honestly, I have nothing to add um, to what you've already done." But I told her I was having some big pain in the lower right hand quadrant of my abdomen, and she had tested my gallbladder and found it wasn't working, and said, "Well, let's go ahead and remove it." I thought, well, um, why? Why do I need to remove it again? Um, is it like going to explode? Is it infected or something? And she said, No, it's not infected. Is Is it filled with gallstones? Maybe? No, no, that wasn't it. And then I thought, Was the opening to it maybe stuck? She said, No, that looks fine. I said, Well, this sounds. Neurological to me. And if so, I really want to try to figure it out. You can live without a gallbladder, but life is a little bit easier with one. Yeah. So, um, what she said was, well, maybe then this is some odd kidney stone, and you should have that looked at. Hmm, kidney stone? I'd never had one, but from what I'd heard, <laughs> they present with a lot of pain. You know. Yeah,
0: my sisters had multiple, and they're. <laughs> oh,
1: that's what I've heard, and I thought yeah. this doesn't sound like it. But okay, honestly though, Jessie, I don't think she knew where to send me, so yeah. she was kind of just trying to get me out of her office. <laughs> but I saw this urologist, and he said, "Well, let's check for stones." He gave me this dye to drink, and he's imaged me, and he said, "No, there's no stones." But he was one of these real nice, smart guys. And when you're dealing with some weird illness that nobody understands, you oftentimes bend the ear of whoever will listen. Mm -hmm. But I told him, I'm suspecting vagus nerve problems. And I kind of told him why. And I said, if that's a problem, could this vague pain I'm having be the valve between the large and small intestine, the ileocecal valve, and maybe it won't open. He thought, "That's, that's brilliant. He said, Let me um, have you talk to my friend up the hall, who's a thoracic surgeon, and see if maybe he could open that valve for you. And so I talked to this gentleman, and he said, Oh, no. I said, Diana, if you think you're having vagus nerve problems, the last thing you want to do is have abdominal surgery because we (laughs) cut through those nerves. He said, We cause (laughs) gastroparesis.
0: Okay, not great. Not that.
1: (laughs) I went home and I still had no answers. I went to the emergency room. Uh, We were at about two weeks at that point, still no bowel movement. They gave me prokinetics to try to make a bowel movement happen. Nothing. Mm -hmm. And then something that I can only think of is it had to be some sort of divine intervention (laughs) because I got kidney stone. Mm. oddly and I called the urologist I said I know you're gonna think I'm nuts I understand a few days ago you checked thoroughly for stones I didn't have any I said but I do now I'm like doubled over so he met me at the hospital I had a stone he removed the stone but when I woke up he was standing real close to me and the minute I opened my eyes he said Diana you're right (laughs) I was like what It's your ileocecal valve. I said, What? How did you know? He said, Because that dye I gave you to drink a few days ago is still all in your GI tract, but it's crammed up against that valve. Hmm. And the reason he could see that is to remove a stone, they use fluoroscopy and it makes that sort of dye light up. I thought, Wow, we have confirmation. Yay. What do we do? He said, Oh, I don't know. (laughs) He said, I'm here to remove your kidney stone. (laughs) So, okay, but I felt like I had had confirmation of my suspicions. So, I was at home laying in bed, miserable, had no idea what to do next. And I didn't feel like there was another doctor I could call. I'd kind of gone through my list. Yeah. And so, that's when I decided I'm just going to assume I'm right. Let's say it's my vagus nerve for whatever reason. Is it compressed at the neck? I don't know. But let's say it's not working. What could I do to help it? And I remembered in school, and do you know, Jesse, it was like 30 years ago, I was in class learning these nerves and we studied the vagus nerve and I remembered there were two parts to it. And I remember the first part goes from the brain down into the organs, that's called the preganglionic portion. Then there's a little gap or synapse. And then there's a tiny postganglionic vagus nerve. And I remember the professor saying the postganglionic vagus nerve is so small, it's almost a part of the organ itself. Mm. I, thought, I should still have that. You know, I don't have a history of, of surgery. Hopefully that little tiny postganglionic vagus nerve is still there. Could I somehow stimulate that nerve? to have a bowel movement. So I thought, well, let's use the neurotransmitter. Nerves communicate with a chemical, of course. And I thought, what's the neurotransmitter for the vagus nerve? Oh, That's acetylcholine, okay. But acetylcholine's not a drug because the instant it's in the body, the body breaks it down. So you have to use instead what we call an agonist, an imitator of that. And I thought, what's the agonist? for an uh, acetylcholine at the vagus nerve thought like, oh that's easy um we call the vagus nerve the nicotinic acetylcholinergic nerve and the reason we say that is because it's agonist is nicotine and so I called my husband at the office and I said honey on the way home from work can you swing by the drugstore and pick up a nicotine patch for me he's like what are you up to?
0: <laughs>
1: <He's not playing. laughs> yeah, explain so, it when you get here. You know, mm-hmm. he was getting used to me running some little science experiments on my own body, yeah. but I didn't know if it mattered where I put that Jesse. But I put it on the lower right hand quadrant, thinking if that nicotine goes through the skin, which it should, it's transdermal, and if it would land on. That postganglionic vagus nerve receptor, maybe it could still trigger it to work. Slap that thing on an hour, hour and a half later, things started moving. The valve opened. I had a normal bowel movement. I was like, what? How is this possible? So the next day I used it again. Same response next day. Same response. By the fourth day, I had to stop though, because nicotine activates some inflammatory cells, mm. and my stomach was purple. It looked like it was being eaten by fire ants. I mm. thought, oh no, I ruined everything. You know? Yeah,
0: you're like I fixed one thing, but now what? That's
1: <laughs> right, caused another. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I thought, okay, we'll stop using it, but what did this teach me? And I, I learned a couple of things from that. I thought, first, the receptor's working great. Um, all the research in PODS to that date was saying we've got some rare autoimmune conditions affecting that receptor. Nope, that wasn't it, the receptor worked beautifully. It wasn't getting the signal, so mm-hmm. I knew either, it was a preganglionic vagus nerve problem, something happened to that nerve, or it was a neurotransmitter problem, it was acetylcholine. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to figure out a way to uh, get something together, make some sort of oral medication where it would come together all at once and stimulate that postganglionic nerve like um, nicotine did without nicotine, mm-hmm. and so that was my next project.
0: What did you? I'm like, I'm like, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> as saying,
1: right? Yeah. Uh, I wish I could tell you this was easy. Yeah. But
0: with my there?
1: Well, my son was again. He was wasting away, and it wasn't like he wasn't eating, right? Um, and I thought, is this nutrient malabsorption to some degree due to the fact if that nerve is not working well? Stomach acid production, gallbladder uh, production, the pancreas doesn't work well. We don't break down the food properly. We can't pull those nutrients out. So I sat down I thought, first, this could be a genetic problem, right? This could be a problem that we have with the production of acetylcholine and maybe something to turn that, that gene on, um, work through that. And I, I did find a couple of defects in the pathway of making acetylcholine in some patients, but it wasn't the majority. It wasn't like that home run I was expecting, you know? Thought, okay, well, we don't want to have to have people know their genes and I didn't know mine. Let's put some workarounds for that in there. And then I was trying to figure out ways, uh, using my ancient organic chemistry knowledge. Mm -hmm. You never know when you're gonna need some of these (laughs) classes (laughs) that you had, you know? You're sitting in class swearing, you're never going to use this information,
0: right? Um,
1: Trying to put that together um, and also working around those genes. And then I knew if we're prone to nutrient malabsorption, some nutrients are necessary for the production of acetylcholine too. We had to put those in there. And then trying to work to make sure once we took that, that we could get that bowel movement. That was the only way that I could be sure it was actually stimulating that post vagus nerve. So the goals I had for it too, were it had to, we couldn't wait for a new drug. It had to already be made of um, ingredients that were regarded as safe by the FDA. Mm-hmm. Uh, we needed help now. And I thought if like, we're clever enough and we know the mechanism of action and how things are put together properly. We should be able to do that. But also, I wanted it to cross the blood-brain barrier, Mm -hmm. because a lot of us were getting this horrible brain fog, or what started out as brain fog. I got to the point, Jesse, I was demented. Mm -hmm. My short-term memory went to zero, and um, I couldn't make even a to-do list of like two or three things to do. I was so mentally exhausted, um, I would sleep for seven hours after writing down two things and my neurologist assumed I had some neurodegenerative condition I presented that way I I couldn't stay awake at that point Um, but no it it was that low acetylcholine for the brain so those were the goals I had it only took about three and a half years (laughs) to get this right and we ran clinical trials on it and I ended up releasing it, um, it's called Parasym Plus mm-hmm. um, because it supports the parasympathetic nervous system, the system that's the relax and digest system of the body, plus it crosses the blood-brain barrier to boost cognition uh, for those neurons. At the end of the study, Jessie, I wasn't paying attention to this during the study, but at the end of the study I realized chronic dry eyes were going away and i was one of those patients and i'm an eye doctor i had everything at my disposal for dry eyes i couldn't uh, i couldn't fix it that corrected it and interestingly the gland that produces tears is also part of the parasympathetic nervous system it also uses acetylcholine so that was just like a bonus point figuring that out too
0: yeah that's crazy. That's just like a one-off thing. Are there mm-hmm. any other things you can do to stimulate your vagus nerve?
1: Yes, there are things you can do to stimulate the vagus nerve, like um, slow breathing, uh, humming, singing, mm-hmm. gargling. The problem is if, it's, if there are a few occasions, it's, that's not going to work. Nothing's mm-hmm. going to happen. Uh, one is if you have a genetic problem with acetylcholine, if you're stimulating the vagus nerve, but you can't produce the neuroreceptor uh, or neurotransmitter, that just is not going to do anything. Two, if you have a problem where the preganglionic vagus nerve is damaged, mm-hmm. okay, that gargling or whatever, which is up at the preganglionic level, it's not going to do anything. Right. And then importantly, some aspects of inflammation block the release of acetylcholine so if you have that issue that was one of the problems I had it didn't matter I could stimulate that vagus nerve till the cows came home Mm -hmm. nothing was going to happen and it wasn't my fault you know one clue I had that this wasn't necessarily a vagus nerve problem was before I got sick I didn't have to do anything to stimulate that nerve right? Mm -hmm. I wasn't in the bathroom humming. (laughs) It worked all by itself. We shouldn't have to stimulate it. So if we feel like it's underperforming, it's oftentimes for reasons that are out of our control. And I've seen um, people try to do some of those things to stimulate the nerve. They're unsuccessful and other people think, oh, you're just not doing it right. You know, (laughs) it's just, it kind of blame the patient. That's just so wrong. Yeah. Um, So, Yeah, it was more the breakdown from the acetylcholine problem. So I really couldn't do anything until I replaced that neurotransmitter.
0: Got it. Is that how you were able to help your son as well?
1: Praise God, yes. Yeah. Um, When I was in the kitchen, honestly, if you can picture me kind of putting this together Mm -hmm. and giving it to him two, sometimes three times a day, and just praying we got it right. And... He started to grow again. His bones started to get stronger, and um, he was able to eventually, then, as he recovered from pots, start working out. He started lifting weights, which I was terrified of because he had such fragile bones for a while. And rise above it, and then he went on to be an athlete of all things. Um, who saw that coming? Yeah. But it was a necessary component, and I look back on that and I think what would have happened to him if we couldn't have figured that out
0: yeah
1: you know oh heartbreaking but it was hard on him he was literally bedridden for almost three years Mm -hmm. that was tough
0: tough yeah i can't imagine that like happening to yourself and your son Mm -hmm. at the same time Yeah, a lot.
1: Well, my daughter was sick too. (laughs) It wasn't just both of us.
0: She wasn't as bad. She was more
1: functional. She was able to stay in school. Um, She couldn't stand still. She was on the floor. Um, Mm -hmm. She was crippled more. Some of the first symptoms she had were things like anxiety and depression. That was her first Mm -hmm. manifestation. Um, So all three of us were different. I never fainted. um, But my blood pressure would surge when I was standing, which is one reason I didn't faint. My son fainted if you just looked at him and down he went. Sometimes he fainted just sitting up. We had different genes at play. I wasn't expecting that. We had some commonalities and that's where we started. But ultimately to get to the end, we we also had to pay attention to the differences. Mm. Um, But a long journey, not anything I'd wish on anybody. Yeah, but um, I'm so happy to be on the other side of it.
0: Yeah,
1: not something I'd wish on someone. But if you're going to go through something, if you can somehow get to the other side, it's yeah. easier to see, okay, maybe that was worth it. But yeah. You couldn't have told me that in the middle of the journey. No, no.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> would not yeah. buying it. Yeah
0: you would be like no way
1: (laughs) no no. especially seeing your kids suffer um it was bad enough you know seeing me suffer but to try to look at my son's suffering and dealing with so much and thinking oh this is all gonna be worth it that was a a a thought I just couldn't accept for a long time I really struggled with that yeah Uh,
0: so what are you up to now that you've recovered
1: Yes, um, this is a dream come true. Honestly, Jesse, going through this and being so sick. And like, I remember um, at a doctor's office once, he was in our research hospital, I could barely drag myself there. I was in a house coat and slippers and I'm sitting in the waiting room, just feeling like I'm dying. Watching doctors go past with their white coats and nurses go past helping people. And I thought, I can't even imagine being on the other side of that illness. I'm on the other side now. So I set up POTS care, and that's all we see are POTS patients. We know what we're doing with POTS to try to figure out for every person what is the medical reason behind their POTS? And when we identify that, we can start to treat that and they can recover from POTS. So POTS is just one of those quote, invisible illnesses. Sometimes it depends what doctors we see, what diagnosis we get, be it you know, chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia, whatever that is, yeah. um, or some psychological diagnosis, which is oftentimes the case. Yeah. Um, so, but we restrict the practice to post-care, so I'm here very full-time. Mm-hmm. But we also have TJ Nutrition now. When I was finally able to get Paracyn Plus out, Uh, We wanted to set that up and have some supporting supplements, too. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: And there's more to come on that. So I'm really excited. I still have the corporation where we did the studies, genetic disease investigators. We are continuing studies. Mm -hmm. In fact, we have one coming up for multiple sclerosis I'm very excited about. When we were um, studying some of these other invisible illnesses, I really wanted to include MS because we have some commonalities with MS, we don't have MS, um, but we knew there were some similarities. And I thought if we can figure out the similarities, then the differences, we have a chance we can help other people too. So there's a lot more coming up with that too. So life is busy yeah. right now.
0: Just a little bit, just a little <laughs> bit.
1: yeah. <laughs> Which I'll never take for granted. Yeah. Having missed years, I was on disability over 10 years. Oh my gosh. And, um, having work taken away prematurely, and I felt like I missed a decade of my kids' lives. Even my memories um, back from those years are so vague. Mm -hmm. I see pictures, it's like, yeah, I think I was there, but it felt almost like I was in in an alternate universe. It was the strangest feeling um, to have that gone and be able to play catch up. Work is a joy. Yeah. And work is a real blessing that if it's taken away prematurely, you want it back. <laughs> so I'm so happy to be working. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's amazing. I love that. So if people wanted to, to find you, find out more about what you do, or maybe they're interested in working with you, how would they be able to? Yeah.
1: Yes. Well, I'm at POTS care, which is potscare.com. If they have pots. Um, Paris Plus is on our website, vagusnervesupport.com, and there's some other supplements we've released there that are special and there's more coming. Mm. Um, when I was sick though, I set up a, a video blog called Pretty Ill, mm. and I still have that. We're starting to freshen it up because at that time I set up a forum. As I started to get some answers, I wanted to try to help others. So I continue to get on that every couple weeks or so and answer questions at no charge. Um, That's been going on for nearly a decade now. So I'm always on there. Uh, I put out the Driscoll theory and happy to share that with with anyone. If someone can't afford that, we just give it away. And that's never a problem. So prettyyell.com is also uh, a place where people can find me.
0: Perfect. I'll definitely have all of these um, linked if people want to just click the link and come and find you too. But That'd be I, great. I loved this story. I mean, I was, I was on the edge of my seat, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so but it's so cool yeah. to hear. Um, I love hearing stories of people that are, you know, they go through such a really hard time and right. then they're able to come out on the other side and like really have this this part of their life that they're so passionate about, and they really right. want to help people. I think that that's a consistent part in the chronic and invisible illness community mm-hmm. that makes it so wonderful. I mean, you don't—you never want to see people sick, but to right. be able to see the people that are coming out on the other side and helping people, I think is so cool.
1: Well, you were so sweet. It is a passion of mine now. When I went through this illness, it was so hard to get validity from the doctors I saw, um, especially when the testing they did, they said, well, everything looks normal, except this tilt table test, which I failed miserably. Um, and I, I was suffering so much. My son was suffering so much. But to lack that validity is very damaging to patients. Yes. And then it's hard to explain even to family members, you know, who start to wonder, are they really sick? <laughs> we, we lack appropriate labels for a lot of these conditions. It's a personal mission of mine to, to label these more properly, preferably according to the genes that are kind of driving some of this, mm-hmm. so that the patients don't get that doubt from other people that they're really suffering, because it was intense. It was intense, but the label "posh" just isn't going to do it. So it really is a personal mission. We need better labels. In my lifetime, I really want to do that so we can end some of that unnecessary suffering purely from the lack of validation. Yeah.
0: So yeah, damaging. That's so, so damaging. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. For everyone, I again, with so many people that I've talked to now, for the most part, everyone that I've talked to has been, has had their feelings and their illness un- invalidated, not validated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Even yeah. Even myself, like the biggest reason that I started this podcast and wanted to talk to people is because I had a doctor tell me, yeah, you have Hashimoto's, Hashimoto's but it's not a big deal. And I was like, oh, but <laughs> it is a big deal to me. I it like is that.
1: a big deal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Yeah, what I had mentioned with Hashimoto's is so um, underappreciated for the damage it can do to the body. Doctors tend to think of it as a thyroid problem, but you can have Hashimoto's a long time before it even affects the thyroid. The antibodies are there. It's a systemic illness Mm -hmm. and it can cause a lot of problems. And if they're doing nothing to help you until the thyroid's affected, that's unfortunate. But even more and more unfortunate, they don't hear or you don't hear, oh, this is really tough, Jesse. You know, I'm so sorry you're dealing with this. We just don't know that much. Um, but until your thyroid's affected, I can definitely help you. But at least acknowledge the fact that it's difficult, it's systemic, yeah. and it affects more than just the thyroid. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. entirely. Right. So is there anything else you would like to tell the listeners of the podcast today?
1: You know, if if I could share anything, and just from the viewpoint of being through so much and for so long, and th- there were so many dark hours where I thought there's uh, no idea. <laughs> I don't know that I can get answers for this. And yeah. it was so discouraging and layer after layer of problems. I would say if someone's dealing with something out there that they're struggling with, don't ever give up hope. Mm-hmm. Um, there are answers for a lot of these conditions that people just are not digging deeply enough. Do you know there's work being done in the background you might not be aware of, but don't lose hope because um, there there are answers that are getting released that, that will help. And when better labels are in place, that'll help us too. Yeah. But hope is a very powerful thing. Um, and a necessary, I think, component to surviving some of these. But hang on to hope. Um, I never thought I'd be here.
0: Yeah. And
1: here I am. So science, if you stay in the science, the answers are there. Um, it's just hard to do that sometimes.
0: Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for being on today. I love ending on that, on that message. I think it's so important.
1: Yeah, you are so welcome. It was delightful to be here, Jesse, And thank you. Thank you for the honor.
0: Of course.